Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church Podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you in worship and uh, also in Romans, week 11, chapter 10. If you would like to turn there, we'll be in chapter 10 today. Good morning to all of you who are with us online, worshiping from many different locations or lake houses this morning. We do look forward to the fall coming soon and you coming back. Although I did have one family text me last week and say they love service, they were watching as they were driving through Alabama, and I said, you know, the archives are there. You can watch the archives. You don't have to watch it live when you're driving. Um, but Andrew, where did you sit down, young man? Would you please stand and let us honor you again? Um, can we just... I mean, you put a knot in my throat sitting here as you were talking about, you know, serving is like feeling like you're coming home. It's where you belong. I'm so proud of you, and I just honor you and thank you for sharing your experiences with our church today. Um, And I also want to honor my dear, dear brother, Claudel. Would you please stand? And can we thank him again? Come on. Claudel and I met in Haiti in 2009. I loved you the moment I met you, and I just honor you today. I thank you for your ministry to our church this morning. Um, I actually tried to sing like you on the bridge of that last song, and the Holy Spirit convicted me and just said, stick to preaching and let Claudel do the singing. Um, but you know what? Your life preaches. Your life preaches. And I'm so thankful for you, and I love you. Thanks for being here today. And it is his wonderful bride who has prepared uh, authentic Haitian rice and beans and pickles for you this morning in the lobby, and it's not too spicy. It's not too spicy. No, you have it in Haiti, and it'll light you on fire. Okay. Today's sermon is titled, Beautiful Feet, which I love this analogy in chapter 10 because feet are typically gross. We uh, often hear compliments about someone's beautiful eyes, beautiful smile, maybe beautiful hair. But when's the last time you sat down next to someone, they happened to be barefoot, and you said, my, 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 what beautiful feet you have. Probably something you've never said because of bunions and calluses and hammer toes and athlete's foot and ingrown toenails and planter warts. But for those of you who have been blessed by God and you have beautiful feet, uh, you might consider foot modeling. So I thought we could have a little bit of fun at the top of this message today. I did some research on this in case it interests you. Um, To become a foot model, you must have great looking feet, (laughs) a skin texture that is soft and smooth, free of blemishes and blisters, and devoid of tan or even uneven skin tone. Is desirable. The shape of your toes should be even with your nails cut short. Feet with calluses will not work. (laughs) Agencies prefer feet with no hair 
visible veins, or other crinkly distractions. Agencies are looking for pampered feet that are moisturized twice a day and routinely receive pedicures. As far as possible, avoid dust with your feet and use sunscreen on your feet and tanning beds. Your feet should never smell bad. Wear dry socks. Perfume your feet with foot deodorizers. Feet fitness, it's a thing, is extremely important and plays a role in making your feet look slender and shapely. Practice ankle exercises. Massage your feet. This is good, guys. Loosen up. Massage your feet. Test drive your footwear. And apply tea tree oil to defend your toes from fungal infections. Allow your feet to express boredom, (laughs) nervousness, pain, and pleasure. (laughs) And practice by imagining various scenarios. Make them behave as if they're being tickled or annoyed. The final step is to find out a reliable modeling agency. And once you find a trustworthy agency, send in photos of your feet. And I wish you good luck because the average salary of a foot model in the United States is $122,000 a year. I have a photo of a foot model. And as you look at it, I want to ask you, do you feel that these feet are expressing boredom? (laughs) Do they look nervous? Or are they expressing pain or pleasure? Okay. Before you do pursue this as a career, you need to find an honest friend that will evaluate your feet and let you know if it's worth pursuing or not. This was a very strange introduction to my sermon. But I did that to get your attention and perhaps help you remember today's message and today's text in a new way. Um, Romans 10, 14, and 15. Beautiful feet. If you would just look somewhere down on the ground and see if you do have feet, and if you do, raise your hand. Go ahead, right now. Okay, so this is a sermon for you. How then, verse 14... Can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now translated by Eugene Peterson, I love this. But how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And how is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? It's pretty plain and clear here. But the first thing for us to determine is who are the they? Who are the they that Paul is writing about in his context? And that's in Romans chapter 9, verses 30 and 31. What then shall we say? that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel, the people of Israel, 
who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. The they that Paul is referring to is the people of Israel who had heard the gospel yet persisted in their unbelief. Not only that, but Jews in synagogues around the eastern Mediterranean had heard Paul's gospel, and some even violently opposed it. Surprisingly, the gospel's greatest success would be among the Gentiles. The Jews focused so energetically on the law of God that they were missing the full picture that was right in front of them. Rather than accepting the atoning sacrifice and death of Jesus Christ, they were left there with this impossible attempt to live eternally by following the commands of the Mosaic law. This is the dilemma that they found themselves in, and Paul's saying, how can they hear? So that's the they that Paul was writing about, but what about our they? What about the they right now in our context? In a Gallup poll, I read that 39% of Oklahomans are in a church, mosque, temple, or synagogue once per week. So roughly four out of ten people, and that's a number that reflects various religions, not just Christianity. Yes, statistics do vary. Roughly 72% of them are inaccurate. I thought that was good. Um, When I hear people who genuinely express concern for our culture, who genuinely express their desire to see our nation become a Christian nation once again, to see our nation return to our Christian values, our Christian principles. I understand that concern, but I do bite my tongue because how I want to respond when I hear people express that concern, I want to say lovingly, what are you doing about it? Because we love to talk about all that is wrong in this world, right? We love to talk about all the negativity, but what, what are you doing about it? If you desire to see the name of Christ and his sovereignty spread throughout our land, we can't just talk about it. We've got to be about it. We've got to share the gospel. Paul asks four questions in today's passage. How can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? I'm going to tell you two very surprising things right now. Number one, I have shared the gospel here in Tulsa with people who have never heard it. It's true. I share the gospel. They have no idea what I'm talking about. Those people do exist among us. Number two, I've lived here. Next month will be seven years in Tulsa, and I have not one time had one Christian share the gospel with me. Now, you don't look at me and think, well, he's a believer. I don't need to share with him. I've never had any brother or sister in the faith come and approach me and share the gospel with me. 
If and when it happens, I'm going to play dumb. I'm going to let him get in the practice, right? But that's how void our city is right now of active Christians sharing the gospel. And Paul's saying, how can they know? How can they know if they don't hear? When you reverse the order of these questions, you see a very clear strategy for mission. Do you guys know Jesus gave instructions in Scripture? And get this, this is awesome. It works. Like Jesus knew what he was talking about. He, he knew the gospel that he was giving to New Testament writers. This strategy works. Look at this. We're sent as messengers. People hear, people believe, and people call upon the Lord. It's mind-blowing, right? We are sent as messengers. People hear it. People then believe it, and they call upon the Lord. Romans 10, 14, and 15. It suggests a very convicting question but also one that is extremely necessary that we all must wrestle with in our own spiritual lives, and it's this. Do I care more about my present than my neighbor's eternity? What else do I need to worry about about my present? I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. What else do I need to worry about or focus internally on me? More so than my neighbor? more so than the people I'm going to meet each and every day who may not know Jesus Christ. Beautiful feet are not idle feet. Idle feet are complacent. Idle feet are unintentional. Idle feet are, dare I say, selfish. I'm talking about my own as well. There are many days that I prioritize moi over my neighbor. Idle feet are selfish feet. Beautiful feet are always on mission. Beautiful feet are intentional. Beautiful feet are always carrying the gospel with them. Okay, so it says the beautiful feet who bring the good news. Now let's define the good news. Let's define the good news that we bring to those around us. It's in the same chapter, Romans 10, 9 through 13. And if you're here today, maybe you're here out of curiosity of, you know, what are these people doing in church on a Sunday? Maybe you're here because somebody invited you. But if you're here and you're not a Christian. If you're watching right now online and you're not a Christian, listen. Listen carefully to, to this because this is for you. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. God has made it Quite simple to avoid his wrath. Accept that Jesus is the creator and the ruler of the universe and accept that through him, God has reversed the curse of death that sin has brought to creation. To believe that God raised Christ from the dead is not just simply a belief in the improbable resuscitation of Jesus. It's a deep conviction that with the resurrection of Jesus, God reverses the effects of sin and death. Furthermore, to be rescued from this judgment, sinful human beings need to do nothing. And that goes completely against what we feel as people because I need to do something in order for you to love me. I need to earn love. I need to work hard to be loved. I need to do something to be more deserving of God's love. No. That's works-based salvation. 
And it's very clear that that's not what Paul is writing about. God does not need us to do anything impressive in order to be saved. If that was the case, I'm going to draw your attention to uh, the same passage from the false gospel translation. This is the false gospel translation. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. If you pray three hours a day, if you fast once per week, study your Bible daily. If you tithe 10%, serve the church and live in perfect purity, you will be saved. Sounds exhausting. God has done all the work. And why? Because he's worthy of all the glory. Do we deserve any glory? No. We've done nothing for our own salvation other than declare our faith in Christ Jesus. Believe in your heart and profess with your mouth that he is Lord and you'll be saved. And then, because we are saved, we love to pray. We love to study. We love to fast. We love to give. We love to serve. We love to seek purity in our lives because we're saved. We don't do those things in order to be saved. Is everybody okay right now? This is, is everybody okay right now? This is the good news that we carry with us. Verse 11, as scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all. Say all. Same Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The irony in this passage reveals the ease with which God makes righteousness available. The Gentiles attained righteousness. They didn't even know they were looking for it. Whereas unbelieving Israel with all of the zeal that they possessed for God's righteous law had failed to attain it. Within this text is a gigantic promise. Anyone who believes will never, and never means never, be put to shame. This expression looks forward to the future judgment when our hope will be proven true. Now, if someone that could fully grasp this idea that, that we will never be put to shame, then guess what? Shame should never be what interferes with their moment of conversion, right? Some people have a hard time accepting the love and accepting the grace of Jesus Christ because, Lord, you don't know what I've done, and you don't know where I've been, and you don't know who I've hurt, and you don't know what I've said. And so that shame creeps in. No, those who put their hope in Christ, those who believe, those who profess with their mouth that he's Lord, you're never going to be put to shame, and never means never, Additionally, we have to be careful that when we share the good news with people, we don't do so as if we're sitting on the throne as the righteous judge. So listen, when Paul says preach, how can they hear without someone's preaching? We have to be very careful that our preaching is never condemning. We have to be very careful that our preaching in our surroundings is never focused on all the things that are wrong with the person. You know, in most cases, they already know what's wrong in their life. Right? They don't need you to point it out even more. So we have to focus not on what is wrong 
with individuals when we share the gospel with them. Instead, we got to focus on everything that is right about surrendering to Jesus. Keep it about Jesus and not about all their sins. They already know their sins. Shame can never be interference for someone's moment of conversion. I read a story this week of a man in Africa who was gripped by a passion for spreading the gospel, and he was afflicted by the dreaded elephantiasis disease, which hardened and enlarged the flesh of his lower legs and feet. It's a very painful condition. It's a very restrictive condition. It makes simple walking a laborious challenge. And here this guy goes from hut to hut in his village, sharing the gospel with every single family because he knew and he believed. How can they know this amazing offer of salvation if they have not heard it? So he said, here I am, God, let me be your mouthpiece. And he went hut to hut in his village, eventually sharing the gospel with every single family. Next, he did the same thing with another village, but not as accessible. It was located two miles away. And against the advice of others, he would often leave before sunrise and come home well after midnight. There was a missionary that lived in that village who was also a medical doctor. And the doctor shared that this man would often arrive home with extremely bloody and swollen feet. The doctor said, with a mixture of lotions and my own tears, I would bathe the feet of this wounded messenger. Without counting the cost to himself, this man lived out the words of the Apostle Paul. To quote the missionary doctor again, he writes, It is ironic that many Christians who go to great lengths to dress their feet in the world's latest fashion have not the beauty of a diseased African saint who could not rest until all who were within his reach had heard the gospel. How beautiful are our feet? How beautiful are the feet of the church of Jesus Christ at large. And then he writes, may we be people of passion more than fashion as we take the good news of the gospel to a waiting world. It's quite simple. We are sent as messengers. People hear the message. People believe the message. People call upon the Lord. Closer to home, I can't help but to think of the beautiful feet that exist in our congregation. Those of you who visit the homebound for prayer and take communion to people who cannot come to church, those of you who prepare and deliver meals to the sick, those of you who coach or tutor underprivileged kids in Northwest Tulsa or volunteer your time at the common good. Those who visit the hospital and sit with extremely anxious families, those who are serving meals 
to the homeless in our city. Those like Andrew who just returned home from serving in Milwaukee. Those of you that will serve in the Dominican Republic later this fall. Those who are packing meals right this moment for our friends in Haiti. And those who will walk next door and share the love of Jesus Christ with your neighbor. Where is God calling you to be a messenger? Well, I invite you not to sit and think about a specific geographic location. Because instead, I would like you to take the word go wherever you go. You're going to go to work. You're going to go to school. You're going to go to practice. You're going to go to meetings. You're not sent just to one specific geographical location. Substitute go with sent. You are sent to work. There is a greater purpose for you than a paycheck at your job. You are sent into your neighborhood the day you pulled the U-Haul in and moved into your house. You are sent, students, to your classrooms to have an eternal impact and make a difference in people's lives. You are sent, every meeting is a potential assignment. So may we have ears that are in tune with the voice of the Holy Spirit because there is more to this life. Once you know Jesus Christ as your Lord, there is more to this life than just looking out for me, just looking out for ourselves. Stop caring about my present needs more than my neighbor's eternity. So, wherever you're sent, you're sent with the greatest news of all into a world that is waiting right now to hear that news. May we all be faithful with this assignment. God, we thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you for your word. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring conviction in any heart that needs conviction today. And mine as well. That we would not be an idle people, that we would not live as your ambassadors just when it's convenient. But at all times, in all spaces, see every opportunity before us to share this great news. God, somebody shared the good news with us. Why would we let it stop here? Yes, we pray for courage to open our mouths and open our hands and open our homes and our dinner tables, open our lives. But we also remember what Jesus said to the disciples that when we need to know what to say, your Holy Spirit will show us what to say. So we say today, here we are, God. Give us a burden, a heavier burden than perhaps we have ever felt before. To have beautiful feet that carry the good news into our community. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and worship together?
Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.